0: Parking, or the availability of it, the policing of it, is a subject that stirs some rather primeval emotions, particularly when you've had your picture taken by some predatory official shutterbug and uh, subsequently get the ticket in the mail. But there's more to it than the frustrations of finding a legal place to park. Parking policy is perhaps the canary in the mineshaft of urban planning. The acknowledged international guru on parking issues is Donald Shoup, Professor of Urban Planning at UCLA in California. He's been studying the issue for decades and is convinced that radical action is needed to shift the mindsets of people who want to drive into town and park there whenever and wherever they like. I spoke to him recently and asked him, has parking policy got
1: stuck in something of a time warp? Well, yes, I think that the biggest driver of uh, parking policies is inertia, that uh, most cities haven't changed their policies in decades. Uh, New Zealand seems to be uh, one of the leaders in um, in parking technology, and so does Australia. When you say technology, what do you mean? Well, one of the new technologies that's uh, making change possible is what they call occupancy sensing uh, for parking spaces. Uh, There are a couple of uh, uh, firms in in New Zealand that have invented a little. Little things like about the size of a hockey puck that you uh, put in the pavement, and it it shows in real time to the city whether a space is occupied or not. So uh, cities can begin to manage spaces with the data that they receive. And I think that the cities are beginning to use that to manage their own street spaces and, and charge a price for them so that there's... Ideally, one or two vacant spaces on every block, and so wherever you go, you would expect to see a, a, a vacant space.
0: Your gripe, if I can put it that way, over the years has been the availability of free parking, and, and you, you maintain it oughtn't to be free, right?
1: Well, everybody wants something for nothing, yeah. and uh, everybody wants to park free, including me, and I'm, I'm sure that will never change. Uh, that. What is changing um, is the uh, ability to manage parking better, Uh, and I think that what changes the politics of parking is when cities uh, say to a neighborhood or a business district that uh, if you want us to charge for parking and charge the right price, by which I mean the the price that leaves one or two vacant curb spaces on every block— and then we'll spend all of the the revenue to improve your neighborhood by fixing your sidewalks or planting street trees or putting your wires underground. And then when people see that the money stays where it's collected, uh, that it's going to help them, then they they can understand that the parking wants to be paid for.
0: Hmm. You, you talk uh, have talked extensively about this optimum level of curbside parking of about 85% at any occupancy at any one time. Has this been tested, and has it been found
1: to work? Well, 85% uh, occupancy is a a shorthand um, explanation of how to achieve the best management for curb parking. It means that the spaces are well used, meaning that uh, almost all the spaces are, are occupied, but they're readily available, meaning there are one or two vacant spaces on every block. And so it's harder to get better than that. If if half the spaces are empty, it means that the, you know, the merchants are losing out on potential customers. If all the spaces are full, this is the problem that many cities are worrying about because drivers circle the block uh, again and again hoping to see a car leaving. And this congests traffic and pollutes the air and uh, uh, wastes energy and wastes time. And now people are focused on the fact that maybe it creates a lot of carbon dioxide emissions.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a link between cheap parking availability and, and greenhouse gas emissions and broader sustainability issues. Are attitudes shifting because of this dimension? Or uh, in some cases they will be, I suppose. In some they'll becoming, be becoming more entrenched.
1: Well, I think a lot of things are happening at once. Uh, the, the focus on uh, global warming is... Uh, making cities re-examine their policies, and uh, I think that the cities have a lot to gain by charging the right price for the curb parking. Um, they, uh, they can gain revenue that will uh, improve their neighborhoods. Uh, I, I don't want to be critical of New Zealand because there's so much to criticize in the U.S., but I think some of your sidewalks look in a bit ragged condition, a lot of asphalt um, sidewalks that are poorly maintained, and if the if the residents knew that the meter money was going to repair their sidewalks or put in higher quality sidewalks, like uh, you know the stone pavers that you see in the better areas, I think then they would uh, realize that it would be a good idea to charge visitors. Uh, usually, it's it's people from outside the neighborhood for yeah. parking on their streets. If the prices are set right, and by by right, I mean that there will be high turnover because the prices will uh, go up in many cases. And um, and I think that uh, if you price it right, drivers will come. It, is, it won't chase away drivers in total because if there, it just means that if somebody won't come and, and pay for parking on your street, uh, the, another person will uh, be attracted by the fact that it's always convenient to find a space there.
0: Yeah. The assumption is here that we will always have vehicular cars travelling in and out of cities and wanting to find places to stop and for shopping and other purposes. But beyond that, I mean, are we eventually going to see the, uh, not quite the elimination of the car from the centre of the city, uh, but something pretty close to that? I mean, is that something that is you would envisage happening
1: in the next uh, generation or two? It could happen, but free parking doesn 't encourage that transition right. uh, free parking means that it won 't happen uh, that uh, when i 've talked to uh, you know a number of people here in Auckland and I, I tend to ask them about their parking, and many of them say they park free at their uh, at work, meaning that the employer pays for the parking, but this means usually the employer says i 'll give you free parking if you drive to work or nothing. And that encourages people to drive to work. There is one reform uh, that's uh, been adopted in California that I would recommend for uh, other countries, and uh, some people seem interested. It's a law saying that if an employer offers an employee a free parking space at work, uh, if, the, if the employee drives, the employer has to offer the employee the option to take the cash value of the parking space if they don't drive to work. That is, if you say, yes. well, gee, I'd rather have the $2,000 a year and I'll pay for a more expensive apartment closer to work or I'll carpool or take transit, it's up to the driver to, to, uh, or the commuter to say, yes, I'd rather have the cash or I'd rather have the free parking. It's your choice. It doesn't take the free parking away, so it's not politically difficult in that regard. But it, it expands the a range of choices that the commuter has. What is the planning community around
0: internationally concluding about this? It seems like a no-brainer. The California approach is surely the right one to take. I mean, some people would say you need to go a, long, a lot way further than that. But uh, what are the planners saying about this? Do they, do they get it?
1: I think in terms of the planning community that we've got our own problems that, uh, that we're responsible for other uh, mistakes in planning policy that uh, that most cities have what we call minimum parking requirements as you can't build anything or any building or use any building unless you have the spaces required for uh, you know, a restaurant or a bar or a shoe store or whatever you want to put in. So that leads to an awful lot of parking Uh provided in any new development except in downtowns like Auckland and uh, maybe Wellington and sort of Sydney and Melbourne. In the centers of the town, they put a cap on the number of spaces that uh, that can be provided. in the rest of the city, the suburbs, they put a minimum. So yes. it's, it's kind of conflicted. And I think that it's a, it's been a, a huge mistake to require off-street parking. I think it, the, the minimum should be uh, removed. I'm not saying they should always be replaced by a maximum, but uh, these minimums, if you look at them very carefully, they're kind of made up out of thin air. Like, like Melbourne had this unbelievable p- parking requirement of 60 parking spaces for every 100 square meters of a tavern. Now, that's a parking lot 18 times bigger than the tavern. So it sounds as though Australians like to drink and drive.
0: Well, I I doubt that we're any different here. And I think we we have the same kind of regulatory framework, by and large. As far as I know, there are no exceptions to that. We still require, if you're building an apartment block, you have so many off-street parking places. It's the same with commercial buildings. I ask again, have the planners failed to get it?
1: Well, I think... Uh, by and large, yes, uh, that they have failed to get it, and um, uh, there are always some people who who uh, say we shouldn't have these minimum parking requirements. But if they've been around for you know uh, seventy years. They've been around longer than most people have been, and it seems hard to understand that they wouldn't be uh, a good idea. Everybody wants to park free. There's no question about that. And planners have accomplished this miraculous phenomenon that most people can park free. Uh, yes. So it, it's, it's popular if you can have a land-use policy that means everybody gets to park free. Some of the reviews of
0: your book have focused on the fact that this is an intensely political issue, local politics by and large, but, but national in some respects, and that the political nature of it changes the nature of the game. How, I mean, is that true?
1: Totally. Uh, all parking is political, yeah. and I think that uh, we have to accept that, and we have to accept uh, the voters' preferences on on everything. So I think it's important to design a policy that voters will like, and the policy that of parking cash out, for example, seems to not offend anybody uh, in the sense that we don't take away anybody's free parking. But I think, more importantly, the policy of of returning meter revenue to the metered neighborhoods. That is, if you have meters in your neighborhood, you get the revenue stream for whatever you want. So you
0: ring-fence the revenue.
1: Yes, that's right. They call it a um, earmarking or mm. hypothecation, or but ring fence is a good term here because the, the 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 ring is the and the fence is around the metered spaces. That is if you if you if you don't want meters, well you don't get the revenue. If you do want meters, you do get the revenue. Yeah. So it stays within that area, but it isn't ring fence to a particular purpose. It isn't for public transit or. Mm anything like that. And when you usually put together a uh, you know advisory board on what to do with the meter revenue, they have some very strong preferences to clean up their alleys, to repair their sidewalks, to have extra police protection. Say in, in one of the earliest cities in Southern California to adopt this, uh, Pasadena, it was a commercial uh, skid row before they put in the meters. And the merchants didn't want the meters until the city said... Well, if we put in the meters, you keep the revenue. And they said, well, let's run the meters till midnight. Let's run them on Sunday. Let's charge a high price. It was, yes. it was the revenue return, the ring fencing, as you call it, that completely changed their minds. They began to see the world through the eyes of a parking lot owner. And uh, it's, it's transformed the area. They rebuilt all the sidewalks and put in new street trees and beautiful street furniture. They cleaned up the alleys. And uh, the business... Um, Business investment took off, and uh, now it's one of the most popular places in Southern California. So the meters clearly did not drive people away. They're very popular. Usually they put a little sign on each meter saying your meter money makes a difference in a little Pasadena or turning small change into big changes or something to indicate to people when they put money in the meter, it comes right out the other side and and fixes up the sidewalks that they're walking on.
0: There are these perennial arguments from retailers, of course, aren't there, about the... The need for parking, or the cheap parking, to stimulate business—that that parking availability right outside is is a is a stimulus for business. Yeah. Your argument
1: is is that the turnover—it's the turnover—that's the key here. Huh? That's right. I think that uh, getting the price right for that curb parking is will make it more valuable for the businesses that uh, that. Um, they, their employees won't park on, on the street and move their cars every two hours or they, it'll be all for customers. And um, I think that usually it turns out at a at a market rate, the curb parking is a little bit more expensive than the off-street parking. And, um, and therefore, the long-term parkers all move off-street. Uh, and the curb spaces are left for people who want to spend, you know, come in and, and uh, buy something to leave. But there, there's always... Um, somebody, it, 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 you know, some guy, usually almost always a guy at, at, at any audience that I have, and I recommend charging for parking, say, in the, you know, in the evening in a downtown area, and the guy will, and maybe not foam coming out of the mouth, but some certainly some spit, saying that uh, <laughs> uh, if you start charging for parking in the evening in downtown Santa Rosa, I'll never drive down here for a meal in the evening again. And I'm sure that's true, that, uh, that some people will be uh, driven away, but that space will be available for somebody else to park. And, and who do you think will leave a bigger tip in a restaurant? You know, somebody who says, I'll never come here unless I can park free, or somebody else who is willing to pay for parking if they can easily find the space. And who will pay, pay more for uh, goods in a, in a shop or buy more books in a bookstore? Uh, and it, if, the, if somebody is driven away and says, I'll never come downtown again, well, maybe they'll get a better deal in the food court at a suburban mall with ample free parking. So everybody will be better off. Yeah, perhaps
0: they will. Are there direct measurable links between rising parking costs and rising public transport patronage? I mean, it sounds a s- rather inane question, uh, and it would seem to many people to be obvious, but is it?
1: Well, yes, I would say that higher parking prices will make people think more about using public transit, and parking cash-out, which really doesn't increase the the price of parking, it just means that there's... a if you take the free parking, you lose out the money that you would otherwise get. That, that certainly um, uh, encourages people to think. Well, maybe I could take public transit. I'll save the money. Uh, that um, uh, I, I think, if you're interested in in encouraging transit ridership, uh, charging for parking is a good idea. And in many cases, uh, you could just look at the buses in in, in Sydney, that there, there's wonderful, in, in in Auckland and Melbourne, where I've been. There's um, there's a lot of great transit, but the buses aren't full. You know, I think that mm. the, that's even more so in, in the U.S. is that we don't lack transit. We lack transit riders. <laughs> and parking cash out or yes. other parking prices will encourage people to ride what we already have and then say, I, I think there is uh, a, another good policy I would recommend for uh, New Zealand it's just uh, starting at one university in Australia, but it's taken uh, the the U.S. by storm, and that's at universities the, where the, uh, the university contracts with the uh, uh, transit operator in their town. And the university ID serves as a, a free transit pass to all the students and staff and faculty. So when you want to uh, if you really take a fees, bus to I campus imagine, you right? just show your university id and you get on for free so that's built re-
0: into the university fee i imagine that's right
1: yeah. it's it, sometimes it's paid for by um Um, parking revenue. In many of them, the the students have to vote uh, to impose a tax on themselves, uh, maybe $50 or $100 a year, and then everybody can ride transit for free. And that leads to huge increases in transit ridership. It's a lot cheaper for a university to uh, pay for a student's uh, transit ride to campus than to build a parking space on campus. Yeah. So it's more efficient for the university. It's better for the transit agencies because they have new paying riders. Uh, there's no subsidy from the government at all. Uh, and the, when they get more riders, they can have more frequent service. They can, they can have additional lines. I, I think it's a new way to pay for, for uh, transit riders mm. uh, is to, to collectively buy a transit pass. Some employers um, do it for all their employees. And it
0: speeds up the process of getting on and off the bus.
1: Oh. That's right. There's no there's no coins uh, at, at UCLA. We swipe our uh, uh, our university ID through the card reader. I mean that takes just uh, that takes less time than paying in cash. But uh, and every time the, somebody swipes their card through the card reader, UCLA is charged for the ride rather than the student. And it tends to be uh, financial aid for low income students because they are the ones more likely to ride the bus. You've been looking
0: at this whole issue for, what, 40-odd years, and one of your catch cries is nothing is more
1: pedestrian than parking. When will you know when things have really come right? Well, I think when I get invited to Melbourne and Sydney and and Auckland, that shows that some people are listening. Yes, I hope he is. That's Professor Donald Shoup, Professor
0: of Urban Planning at the University of California in Los Angeles.